We are back with another Silent Sportscast episode number 24. Thank you guys for so much for tuning in. And this week's episode, Dak is back. The cheese has gone bad in Green Bay. We got a pair of big wins in the AFC. Fitzpatrick goes down. And of course, we overreact to week one. But first, like always, let's find out what we're drinking. Brian, what do we have tonight? Yeah, so uh, we're wrapping up summer. You know, fall's right around the corner. Um, I think we'll be have another week or two until it's officially fall. So uh, we're going to have one last fruity-esque type beer. We've got the Island Southern Peach. Um, picked this up on uh, the beer aisle over at Publix. Looked good. Haven't tried it before, so uh, pop this thing open and see. We had a peach one a few uh, weeks ago, I believe, um, and it was super, super peachy. So we'll you know, have a little bit of a direct comparison, but let's pop it open. Already ahead of you. Holy peach. Oh, so I guess we should, we, we can, it's fair to say, and I mean, it's only two beers, but I guess if you have a peach beer, it's, it's going to taste like peach. It, <laughs> like straight up peach. Yeah, it tastes like I straight up took a bite out of a peach. I don't mind it though, because I like peaches. So, I mean, we both know I have more of the <laughs> fruity palate between the two of us. So, I mean, I, I would drink it, but I think after one or two, it's going to be, it's a little too sweet. For yeah, beer. This, this is a one and done. I could do one, you know, a one and, and done situation here. Right. This thing is super. I mean, it's not the flavor is fantastic. It tastes like a peach, but uh, it's it's really sweet. Okay. Yeah. We'll get ourselves through that one. Yeah. But um, before we move on to the first topic, um, as always, check out our social media accounts um, at Sideline Casters. That's both on Facebook and Twitter. It's really uh, kind of been lighting up this past week um, with, you know, the week one in the NFL rolling out. As anticipated, uh, the memes and gifts are being thrown down on the page. So go check it out, uh, comment, let us know your picks for week two when we get to them later in the podcast. And, uh, Logan, I'm going to take the first topic because it's about Dak Prescott and you and I both know. Um, I've been a, a big critic of his coming into the season, but this past Thursday night, uh, we saw a down-to-the-wire shootout between the Dallas Cowboys and defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Bucks. The game itself saw 26 million total viewers across all platforms. That's including, you know, the the national broadcast via cable and then uh, NBC other channels such as Peacock streaming services. Um, and that was a 20% increase from last season. And those 26 million people who tuned in were not disappointed as they saw Dak Prescott lead. The Cowboys to a 29-28 lead with less than two minutes remaining. And that was uh, through an impressive 42-58 passing, 403 yards and three touchdowns by Dak, who silenced many critics, including myself, um, showing that he is certainly back and ready to exceed expectations in 2021. Um, However, that performance was ultimately extinguished by yet another two-minute or less comeback drive by uh, Tom Brady as the Bucs took the lead uh, and a 31-29 win at home in the dying seconds. Uh, Brady went uh, almost yard for yard with Dak, going for 379 yards and four touchdowns, and two of those uh, were to Gronk as the two connected for their 100th career all-time touchdown between the combo during the game. So, Logan, uh, what were your impressions of the opening game? Thoughts on Dak and Tom Brady throughout the rest of the season? And I think the most interesting thing is, the increased viewership from last year. What do you what do you take away from all that? So when this game originally was scheduled back in in was it January or so, or I guess later than that. But uh, you know when it first came out, it was announced that this was going to be the matchup. You know, even up to the kickoff, I thought it was kind of going to be a blowout. The Cowboys, they really hadn't done anything to deserve to be in that opener spotlight. Uh, so I, I definitely thought that a playoff team probably should have gotten the. Uh, the notoriety, publicity, uh, facing the Super Bowl champs and all that. But, uh, you know, I was wrong. This was, as a fan, a great game to watch. I didn't have any stake in this game. No uh, no fantasy players this year. So I was purely unbiased. And I loved this game. It, Dak immediately impressed me. He was healthier than I expected him to be. You know, Brady impressed me as well. I, I texted you and, and probably shocked you a little bit, but I said that, you know, Brady's throws that he was making were, were crisp and powerful. They were precise. 
And, you know, it's not even the throws that he made. It's some of the throws, the incomplete passes he threw. He he threw them in there with some power, and it completely shocked me. Uh, you know, as far as what I see for the rest of these guys going forward, my concern is overutilization. You know, Dak, on his first game back, it threw almost 60 times. You know, I may sound like a broken record here, but Brady, you know, he's 44. He's... He has an extra game this year. He threw the ball 50 times. Can his body hold up to the longer season and the you know a workload of that type? So there's a there's a great meme that was out this week and it showed Rodgers uh, and Brady and having their post game interviews and Brady looked fresh, clean, looked really young, and Rodgers looks like an aged hippie with a gray beard and a man bun. And the captions like, just keep in mind that Brady's seven years older than Rodgers and uh. But I'll make sure I throw that up on the on the on the socials. But uh, that that kind of made me laugh. Uh, Tom Brady is looking just as young as he has. You know, guy's got the fountain of youth. Um, I'm not surprised by the viewership. Everyone that I've talked to has been eagerly awaiting this season more so than like anything in the past. The the interactions for the draft I think were up this year. So everybody has been waiting for week one. Um, and I was talking with our father-in-law, Wayne, over the weekend about sports and kind of its ability to distract and heal. And you're know, thinking back to Katrina, how that that Saints game in the Dome was so impactful. It was a kind of a spark for the community, a way to distract and kind of take away from all the negativity that they were dealing with, uh, just to provide some relief to that community. Uh, you know, in today's socio-political climate, which I'm not going to get into, but the NFL and even sports in general just gives you a break from all that and allows you to ignore it and, and really just root for your team. And everyone's team starts out, you know, even week one. So everyone's super hype and, and committed team. So uh, I think I think uh, the viewership should remain pretty high this year, you know, just with COVID still around. and and. Uh, people still isolating so what do you think brian yeah i mean i'm I'm gonna echo a lot of the things that you said you know just starting with the viewership you know we're the past 18 months across the world has been a tough one for many people and you said it perfectly you know sports has the ability to heal and bring people together and i think for many of us you and i included you know as soon as football ended in 2020, we started talking about 2021 and the mm-hmm. NFL is the biggest league in America. And I just think the season is, is coming at a time where everybody's just looking for, you know, their favorite sport to come back. And it doesn't surprise me. You mentioned the draft numbers. Um, it doesn't surprise me that there's increased viewership. We're also a few years out from the, you know, the big controversy um, around the NFL with, you know, the, the kneeling and everything, you know, every year that passes, that becomes a, a more fond, not fond, but, you know, more distant memory in viewers' minds. So I'm sure many people who had maybe been boycotting the NFL for a few years found their way back um, with not much else in life to look forward to. But um, turning to the game itself, it was a, it was a crazy game, good game. Um, you know, and I think it, it goes to the passing. Unfortunately, you know, you and I have talked about, you know, kind of where the game's heading and it's definitely a passing league. But the thing is that creates exciting matchups. And when you have two high power offense, we probably saw the best four, four receivers in the same game matchup that you're going to see all year, right. Between these two teams. Um, and then add in Gronk um, on the back end. It was just an electric, exciting game to watch when you pretty much knew every time the ball was snapped there was going to be a pass thrown downfield um i have the same concerns um dak looked great tom looked great but you can't have them passing 45 50 58 times a game and expect them to have any type of durability throughout the season you know i was pretty pretty disappointed with the performances of ronald jones and leonard Fournette. On the Tampa Bay side, Zeke, I think we both knew was going to have an uphill battle in that game with the Tampa Bay run defense, but still, he was almost non-existent as well. So, you know, maybe the guys up in New York City at the NFL headquarters really knew what they were doing with this matchup. You know, 
because it really turned out to be a fun game to watch. I don't think I've watched it the complete opening game in a few years because they've honestly been blowouts, right? Mm-hmm. And I think in the last couple of years we have seen playoff, you know, teams match up in the first game only to you know, conclude with disappointment because the Packers blow out, you know, the Saints by 30 points or something. Right. And I, I picked those two teams at random, even though it was reversed <laughs> this past weekend. But, you know, overall, great game. Um, I think Dallas is really going to push for that division now. And, you know, I think we saw what we expected from Tampa. Yeah, you mentioned the league and their their foresight to put these teams together. They also gave us five other playoff rematches, or not rematches, but matches between playoff teams from last year. So we had five of those on the schedule week one, which is. You know, it's certainly fun to watch. I mean, those teams were all expected to be favorites again, you know, at least uh, in in the playoffs again. So uh, great to see that from the NFL in week one. But uh, we're going to move to probably the most shocking upset of the week where the reigning MVP Aaron Rodgers and the Packers couldn't get anything going against the stingy Saints defense as they were held to just three points in a 38-3 spanking. Rodgers was picked off twice, held to only 133 yards, no touchdowns before ultimately being replaced by Jordan Love in the fourth quarter. Rodgers didn't shy away from the big loss, saying, quote, we played bad, I played bad. Brian, how much this loss was on Aaron? And, uh, you know, is this the beginning of the end for him in Green Bay? Well, you know, it's a team sport, so there's only so much you can put on Rodgers. But, you know, I, I do think that he is going to have to take a blunt of this game and the performance by Green Bay. And to me, it comes down to the, the mental uh, the mental fortitude and the mental preparation of the offseason, right? There's a reason why these guys, you know, start training camp two months out from the beginning of the regular season, start training, you know, months before that. These guys are expected to be in football shape all year, and it's no doubt – no question that, you know, Aaron Rodgers physically came into the season, I'm sure, fine. But there's been so much drama, turmoil, question marks with him, with the team. You know, he missed, uh, you know, voluntary team practice. He missed part of training camp. I honestly think that what happened to Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers in week one was he meant he was mentally not ready to play. I don't know if he was prepared. I don't know if he was thinking he was taking the Jeopardy job in the offseason. But he he surely was not the Aaron Rodgers, and this was not the high-powered Green Bay offense that we saw all of last year. I mean, don't forget this is the guy who won the MVP award last year, right? I mean, so most people had Green Bay running away with this game, and instead mm-hmm. it's Jameis Winston who has the last laugh throwing, uh, what, five touchdowns on the least yep. amount of yards ever? In NFL history, 143 yards or something like that. Um, so, you know, they pull Rodgers at the end. I'm sure that was just a logistical, we don't want him to get hurt. We're down by 35 points with 10 minutes to go strategy. Um, you know, meme, meme all you want on that one. But I do think that the Green Bay Packers are going to be fine. But I do think they're a couple weeks behind the eight ball because Aaron wasn't there. And people didn't know if he was going to be the quarterback until weeks before the season started. That, to me, that's the only explanation as to what happened week one. Because I don't think you can sit here and tell me that you think at the end of the year, you know, New Orleans is going to still have a better record than Green Bay. It's possible. I'm not saying it's not. But I think most people would still put their money on Green Bay. But uh, what do you think? You, th- you think this is all on Rodgers or is there something else going on? Uh, Aaron definitely called this uh, one bad game um, and for a guy of his stature and what he's accomplished he he can get a mulligan in theory but when you spent the entire offseason creating a situation like he created in Green Bay and then you come back in your first game and you just shit the bed you know you can't come out and play like that you know you just we talked about it weeks ago. He's going to open himself up for criticism every time he plays poorly because of what he did in the offseason. And, you know, from the optics of what it looked like, he looked like a guy who didn't care. Uh, you know, juxtaposed to a guy like Mahomes, who you know was down by 12 and a half, down by nine, going to the fourth quarter of that game. 
he never gave up. He pumped up the guys on the sidelines, you know, saying we got this, and, and he led his team back to a victory. You know, ultimately, I think this is a one-off game for Aaron. You know, he's normally a guy who is so careful with the ball, doesn't make the mental mistakes that a lot of players, a lot of quarterbacks make. Uh, he's he played like a guy who missed the entire offseason. You know, that that's by far the worst game I can ever remember him playing, and it's not even, like, close in terms of his next worst game. Um, you know, there were a couple of interesting stats that came out uh, regarding his performance. Uh, he ranked 35, he ranked as the 35th best quarterback in week one. Um, just keep in mind, there's only 32 teams in the league, so there were backups that came in and had better games than he did. Uh, also, his quarterback rating is a 13.4. Uh, so statistically, if he would have thrown the ball into the ground every play, he would have tripled his QBR and ended up with a 39.6. So you could tell that he had a bad game and that he made bad decisions with that ball. Uh, but, you know, as, as bad as Rodgers played, let me just say that defense played probably just as bad. For sure. Last, last year, that was a top 10 defense, both against the pass and the run. And the Saints walked up and down the field of them. Uh, you know, it it should be kind of known out there that the Packers went out and hired a new defensive coordinator. They hired Joe Barry, who spent the last two years in Detroit, where he had the worst defense in the league. He also spent years in Washington, where he had one of the worst defenses in the league. So why the Packers went out and hired this guy is kind of beyond me. Um I would say this is a 70-30 situation. I'd put 70 of this on Rodgers and 30 on the defense side. Uh, just he needs to know that that team lives and dies through him, just like Dallas lives and dies through Dak. So he's he's got to be better for the team. Uh, you know, and as far as this being the end, the beginning of the end for Rodgers in Green Bay, I think that started uh, in the off season. I think this is you know his farewell tour in Green Bay. I don't think he's there next year. Um, but there's still 16 games, so maybe that changes, but I just don't see it happening right now. Interesting question. I'm just thinking of before you move on to the next topic, is there a point this season, let's say this continues. Is there a point where Green Bay says Jordan love? Let's go. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you think that point is? Oh, and six. Oh, and seven. I'd say, yeah, maybe a situation like that, you know, where you're pretty much out of the contention. Right. And maybe a situation where a team needs a quarterback. Maybe somebody down the stretch gets hurt and they need a quarterback. Maybe you try to maximize a trade midseason. You know, it's kind of a stretch maybe. But uh, certainly I do think there is a situation, you know, where love comes in. And that that leash that, that he's on is going to be short and we could see love come in sooner than that. If, if Rogers has this bad of performance next week, especially against, you know, a team like Detroit, because like face it, Detroit is a team you want to face if you're looking to rebound. So, well, we will see all eyes will be on Aaron Rodgers because they're playing Monday night football at home for their season opener against Detroit in that game. So uh, we'll we'll see if he bounces back. But uh, let's move on to the AFC. Um, this topic does pain pain me to introduce, but you know we had two heavyweight matchups in the AFC this past weekend. The early game, the Steelers topped my Buffalo Bills twenty three sixteen after the Bills entered the season with huge ex- expectations. The later game at four twenty five, the Chiefs battled back after being down being down by nine in the fourth to beat the Browns. Logan, who had the bigger win? Steelers or Chiefs? At first glance, I really wanted to say the Chiefs win over the Browns was the bigger one, but Kansas City was at home. This is kind of what they do nowadays. They kind of start slow, go down a few points, and then Mahomes lose the victory, come back, and it's almost kind of become routine for them at this point. But I I do think that the Steelers was the bigger win. Uh, At the end of last season, I had, you know, I had Ben marked as done. Him and Cam, they couldn't throw a ball more than 10 yards, uh, you know. 
So on Sunday when the Steelers were down by 10 at the half and they're on the road, I, I thought, well, this game is probably over. Buffalo should start to pull away. They'll run at the clock and, and that'll be it. But, uh, you know, Ben didn't have a great game, but he did what needed to be done. It was that Steelers defense that was really the best unit on the field, silencing a, a Bills offense that was, you know, diced them up last year. Uh, you know, the Steelers defense, they had playmakers on every level of the ball. Uh, you know, so, and if you look at the losing teams, you got the Bills and the Browns, both expected to win their division. The Bills are that team that everyone kind of thinks has the best chance to challenge Casey for that. AFC crown this season. The Bills are certainly in that conversation, but certainly the Bills are are the team with the bigger expectations. So to come out and lose to a Steelers team who was, you know, a lot of people wrote off for for Dunn was uh, kind of I guess the the bigger win for me. Yeah, no, I'm going to agree. I mean, the Chiefs were at home. The Chiefs were favored. The Chiefs should have won that game. I know the Chiefs and Browns played in the playoffs last year, so I mean, Cleveland certainly came into that game with a chip on their shoulder trying to, you know, prove that they can beat Kansas City. And it did look like they were going to do it for, what, 85 90% of that game until mm-hmm. the Chiefs ultimately came back. But I, I'm, I'm saying the Steelers, um, for sure, bigger win. I do think I – I don't think – I agree with you 100% that the Bills have bigger expectations. I would say um, the Bills are still the better team than – Cleveland, if you're matching those two up, and I agree. The Steelers, the thing about the Steelers' win is exactly what you were saying. You know, people had written them off. They, you know, swerved into the playoffs, skidded into the playoffs last year, you know, by the skin of their teeth. They won the division, but it was not pretty the last, what, four, five, six games of the best season. Right. And ultimately, they just get demolished by Cleveland. In that wild card game, like embarrassing, it was embarrassing the first quarter, first half of that game um, for Pittsburgh. So for them to come back week one, new season, and be one of the biggest contenders, a team that was in the AFC Championship game last year, it's got to be the Steelers' victory. The one thing I'll say for Pittsburgh is that defense is for real. And PJ Watt is. Um, definitely playing with a chip on his shoulder. I think everybody knows, and he's made sure that everybody knows that he believes he should have won the defensive MVP award last year. Gets a big contract, and he was all over the Bills' O-line um, this yeah. past week. So I'm not saying the Steel Curtain's back in Pittsburgh, but people should watch out. They could they could retake that division again, depending on what Baker and uh, Lamar Jackson have to say about it. Yeah, T.J. Watt, definitely worth every dollar they spent on him this offseason. So let me ask you this before we move on. The Browns, like you said, they led, you know, 75% of that game, if not more. Did they lose that game, or did Kansas City win that game? I mean, I definitely think it's Cleveland losing that game. I mean, you're playing – when you're up in the fourth quarter, I think in this league, whether you're at home or away, the great teams put those games away. Mm-hmm. Right, the the great quarterbacks play smart. You know, of course, you know after the um, Miami I, Patriots game ended up, you know the the last what few minutes of that game came on, you know national TV. So mm-hmm. you know, I I I got to watch the last drive. You know, they had a chance to win the game still on that last drive, even though they were down. And you know, our boy Baker Mayfield you know, gets tripped up and throws a errant pass towards the sideline, you mm-hmm. know, trying to hit somebody. If you're up, like Cleveland was up, at that point in this league, if you're a contender, you have to put the game away. Because you have to know if you don't, Patrick Mahomes is going to come back, right? So I'm putting it on Cleveland. Um, you know, not that the Chiefs are any team to scoff at. But when you're up big like that in the NFL, you got to put it away. Yep, I agree. It's definitely a Browns loss. I mean, they they played well. Um, they should, you know, be motivated for the rest of the year. But really, it came down to that muff punt that really kind of like, oh crap, right. this is going to happen, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll move on. Another season and more questions at quarterback for the Washington Football Team. Starter Ryan Fitzpatrick left the game early with a hip injury, which appears to be an injury that will 
keep him sidelined for at least the immediate future. I think they're saying six weeks, maybe more. Either way, backup quarterback Tyler Heineke came in for the veteran and went 11 for 15 for 122 yards and a touchdown strike. Ultimately, Washington fell to the Chargers 20-16 to in a game that stayed close from start to finish. This Monday, we saw Fitz place on the IR and remain there for three weeks, if not more. Brian, what do you think? The Washington football team should uh, be looking for another quarterback in the immediate future or the long term. Is Washington a place where we could seriously consider Cam Newton to step in? Yeah, so I mean, I think in the inter- in, in the intermediary, short term at least, I was I'm impressed with Tyler Heineke. I mean, he played great in the playoffs last year, and I think the biggest thing at this point for any team and especially this division in particular, you know, you got to stay relevant. You can have a nine and seven, seven winning team, you know, out of this division, win the entire division again. You know, Washington wins it last year at seven and nine. Um, I guess you can't, it can't be nine and seven, a 10 and seven team or a nine and eight team could win it this year. Um, so I think Heineke in the short term likely gives you the best chance to win mainly because it looks like he really knows how to protect the ball and he knows the system, right? So he's been there all off season. He's been under Fitz, you know, learning. There's one thing you can say about Fitz is he's definitely a vet who is good to young quarterbacks and will help Heineke as much as he can from the sidelines. Neither one of these guys were their long-term answer, right? I think Washington's probably positioning themselves in the draft this year to probably be in the conversation for drafting another another quarterback in the first round. Honestly, I think that you stick with the Heineke-Fitz combo for this year. Fitz will be back at some point. Let this be a stage for Heineke to see if he has any real potential to at least be a long-term backup for the team, if not a starter in the interim. I just don't know if there's any huge upside to bringing Cam in at this point. A, we don't know because he hasn't played this year because he got cut, whether he's the Cam of 2020 or if he is any better than he was last year. And then B, to have him come in, learn the system, and then actually produce results, I think you're probably better off just using what you got and hoping Fitz comes back in three to four weeks uh, and can step back into the starting position. Yep, I agree. That's uh, pretty much exactly what to say. I really liked him last season. Um, Heineke, when he, he came in for for Haskins, when uh, when he was benched in the fourth quarter, uh, I think he went for like something like 12 for 20 in that game. Uh, he's always been in a situation where he comes in in a losing situation, uh, but he's always kind of, Got it down to one score. Uh, we saw him fill in for Alex Smith last uh, season, the wild card game versus Tampa. Uh, you know, once again, in that game, he went 26 for 44, 306 yards, a touchdown. He did throw an interception, but he also rushed for a touchdown. And that was a 31-23 loss against the Super Bowl champion. So he, he can ball. I liked him in that wild card game. I'm glad that Washington resigned him because these guys been kind of a, a journeyman, you know, through his years. Um, when it seems like whenever he's got the chance, he's had some kind of injury that's that's kind of brought him back down. Right. Um, so I'm glad they gave him a gave him, gave him a two year contract. Um, I like what I saw with him coming in. He kind of provided a spark to that offense. Um, and, and really, I think if uh, if what Gibson wouldn't have um, fumbled that ball, then Washington could have made that last you know effort comeback and. And maybe even won that game. So uh, I do want to see what he can do when he gets real first team reps and what he can do with that offense. Um, so I and I do agree that Cam, although he's got the history with Rivera, he he just adds drama to the team. We didn't see a lot from him in the last season. In the preseason, he looked effective in small doses, um, but really he he's a different kind of player compared to Fitz and Heineke. He's that run first guy where these guys are, are more your pocket passers. So um, I think if there's a situation where 
Washington can benefit from a quarterback. It's a veteran. Uh, if depending on how Fitz recovers and what he's like, I think they should go out and get Philip Rivers. It's a, a guy who's coaching right now in high school, but he's that veteran presence that can still play at a high level and he can still teach Heineke how to be a successful quarterback in this league. So if they're going to go out and get anybody, I say go get Rivers. But ultimately, this is a situation where they are setting up for the future, like you said. Yeah, we might know more to, after tomorrow. Um, you know, recording this on Wednesday, Washington does have the Thursday night game against the Giants, so we might know a little bit more. If Heineke comes out and has a great performance, I think they're probably set for this year. But um, that brings us to um, a new segment we're going to be doing over the course of the NFL season. We're going to um, go through some headlines and, uh, you know, discuss whether they're, you know, overreactions. So um, more than this year ever before, Week one means almost nothing. There are still 16 games left in every team's season, so there's time for teams to correct what went wrong in week one or for the things that went right in week one to go completely sideways. That said, everyone can help themselves from overreacting to week one. After all, week one overreactions in the NFL are always the best overreactions where knee-jerk reflex uh, combines the perfect mixture of soon-to-be-outdated commentary and conclusions. So, Logan, I'm going to give you a headline. You let me know, overreaction or not. So, headline number one, Jameis Winston goes 14 for 20, passing for 148 yards and five touchdowns. Winston is set to be a free agent at the end of the season and will get paid big time. This is an overreaction. Uh, even though he had a fantastic game, it was 140 yards, you know, that was... It was low, but he did what was required of him. He threw passes. You know, you can't run forever. So eventually the touchdown kind of limits how far they can go. But, uh, you know, even if he has a big year, let's say they win the division over Tampa, there's a lot of big names predicted to be in the free agency pool this offseason. Guys like Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, he'll still be out there, Aaron Rodgers, you know. So I expect those guys to get paid big. Um in reality, I I don't think Winston's going to throw five touchdown passes every week. I, I do expect him to continue to look good. They look good on Sunday. And uh, I think that he ends up with an extension in New Orleans, but I don't think he'll make big dollars. How about you? What do you think? No, I agree. It's big overreaction, and I think it's going to come down to – I'm not saying it's not a possibility for him. Um, I think the closer he gets to 5,000 yards with New Orleans, he's, he did it in Tampa – with a much better receiving core, of course. But I think um, if they make the playoffs this year, I think he gets re-signed and gets paid moderate, moderately well. But uh, he's not going to bring home any type of huge, uh, you know, huge big-time contract. He's still on that second-tier or third-tier quarterback level until he proves otherwise. So, Yep. Um, I'll, I'll give you the next one here. Kyler right. Murray, 21 for 30 passing, 289 yards, four touchdowns, ran for another score as the Cardinals dominate the Titans on both sides of the ball in Nashville. Murray will take home this season's MVP title. Brian, what do you say? Uh, I'm not saying it's an overreaction on this one. I, I think Murray, he was in the conversation last year. He was on the outside looking in, and he looks like he's taken off just where you know right where he did last year. I picked Josh Allen to be the MVP winner this year. I still think that's also a very uh, distinct possibility as long as he returns to form uh, week two. But I think Kyler Murray is probably in the top three conversation of top three or top four quarterbacks to take on the MVP. Allen, Mahomes, Murray, and Wilson would be my my top four as we stand today. No, no Rodgers in there, huh? Uh, I just I don't think it's in the cards for him this year. I I think I'm very sour on him at the moment. Just seeing what I saw, we discussed it earlier, and I I don't know if he's going to bounce back to the MVP performance uh, in 2021. Yeah, me too. That's my fantasy quarterback. Three points. Thanks. Thanks, Aaron. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Rogers. God. So what I'm going to say this is an overreaction. Overreaction. Yeah. Um, I think everyone knows Kyler Murray, is a, Kyler Murray is a really good quarterback. He looked fantastic on Sunday. Uh, I think a big part of why he looked so good is he got so many chances with the ball. The Cardinals defense looked excellent especially Chandler Jones. He had five sacks by himself. 
I mean, this is a defense that held Derek Murray or Derek Henry to just 58 rushing yards. You know, the King guy who ran for 2K yards last year, he averaged 126 yards last season, and they held him to 58. So, uh, and the Titans really, their game is built on on the run game and ball control. So when when he can't run, that means they're just gonna turn the ball over a lot more. Um, so, but. You know, also remember the, the absurd start that Russell Wilson had last season for the first, like, what, six, seven games? And he ended up not receiving a single MVP vote, MVP vote last season. So one game, you know, I wouldn't say uh, makes the MVP candidate, but he's definitely on the radar. But I still think, like you said, he's still probably a good ways behind some of the, the favorites. Right. So that takes us to headline number three. The Eagles had plenty of questions going into week one, with starting quarterback Jalen Hurts being the biggest of all. Hurts answered by posting a 27-35 line with 264 yards and a trio of touchdowns with the Cowboys in Washington losing in week one. The Eagles are now the favorites to win the NFC East. That's another overreaction. I still have Washington and Dallas ahead of the Eagles, but, I mean, they're a hell of a lot closer than what I thought going into the season. Dallas looked great on Thursday. I know they lost that game. They probably should have won that game if you know if Greg Zerillion can can make a thirty yard field goal or an extra point. I mean, they they take home the win over Tampa. You know, we just talked about Heineke. We both like him. I don't think there's a huge drop off from Fitz to Heineke. So I think that they are on kind of track to do the same thing. Um, but certainly, the Eagles are a team that I didn't want to touch with a ten foot pole. And they looked a hell of a lot better than I expected. Yeah, I mean, I'm still saying this is a huge overreaction, and the main reason being they played a bad Atlanta team. I mean, I picked Philly in the spread because I did not have any faith in Atlanta. I didn't think that the um, Kyle Pitts pick alone was going to put Atlanta anywhere near being a good team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I'm saying that the Eagles are probably still in contention for the third or four spot in that division behind both Washington and Dallas. Oh, no, I think uh, I think we got the Giants way behind. Daniel Jones is not. We'll see. We'll see. I want to see Philly play a better team before I make that determination. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that'll take us to our last headline for the week. Before the Jacksonville and Houston game even kicked off, there was a report that some players already sick of Urban Meyer's college-style coaching approach in Jacksonville, and a 16-point loss to the Texans isn't going to make him any friends in that locker room. Urban Meyer has lost the locker room and is the Steven Spurrier 2.0. I'm going to say it's an overreaction for now, but I can see this storyline growing as the season continues. The more losses that the Jacksonville Jaguars rack, uh, rack up, and they will rack them up this season, um, the worst it's going to get for Urban in that locker room. Granted, the locker room's not full of that much talent, so there might not be that many guys there next year anyway. But he's got to be careful. Um, this has happened to many coaches who make who come from the college system to the pros and see instant an instant downgrade in success. And a lot of the storylines with those coaches who have come from the from college has been the coaching style and players kind of getting fed up with the way those college coaches turn pro kind of treat players and, you know, put their, you know, more college style spin on, on the system and in the locker room. So it's an overreaction for week one, but give it to like week eight, week eight, and it's probably not going to be an overreaction any longer. This is not an overreaction to me. The sentiment that there's been discord in that locker room is something that's kind of been out there for a couple of weeks now. And it's coming from the coaches as well as the players, from what I understand. Uh, you know, the Texans have arguably the worst roster in the league, which makes the showing by Jacksonville this week kind of concerning. And if there wasn't a concern in that locker room, there probably is now. Uh, you know, we talked about it in our group chat Um several weeks before the season started about how long we saw urban coaching in the NFL. And, you know, the sentiment between the, you know, me, you and Mike was two to three years. And, you know, that analogy to Spurrier kind of is along that, that track to losing record 
seasons and he could be done. Yeah, and you know, it's funny the 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 big reports, you know, today are he <laughs> Urban Meyer was asked in press conference whether he would be interested in taking the University mm-hmm. of South California um USC job and he you know of course said no way but if, if this is already I agree with you I still think it's an overreaction um I think there's discord in every losing team locker room and teams that know they're going to be bad but uh you know when those reports are coming out where he's being asked whether he wants to return to college it's probably a ticking time bomb yeah yeah you know funny I've heard a head coach that he had no interest in a uh, a job before then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you know he's coaching Alabama so right Anyway, we'll head back to kind of recap our week one picks. Brian, you ended up with nine total correct picks. I was one behind you. I went eight and eight. You went nine and seven. So you're up one game. Uh, you know, the picks we differed on were, uh, you know, uh, Carolina at uh, in, in New York. You took Carolina. I drank the Kool-Aid on the Jets, and it was sour. Um, you uh, you took Philly over Atlanta. I thought Atlanta would be a little bit better than Philly. I didn't have high hopes for Philly. You were correct again, but I uh, I stuck with my man Joe Burrow, and he ended up taking the overtime win in Minnesota. So that gave me uh, just one game behind. So going into this week, we uh, differ on four picks. And uh, before we want to, I guess we can talk about it as we go through, but Miami and Buffalo, you know, I wonder who we're taking here. You know, I, I guess I'm clearly taking Miami. You're taking Buffalo. Buffalo favored by three and a half. You know, this is uh, maybe a bold pick by me, but uh, I, I like to think that we're going to split with you one game this season. This is in Miami, you know. Maybe I'm, yeah, maybe, I mean, we'll maybe I'm crazy I, here. The three and a half points definitely makes it a little bit more interesting. I could see this being a field goal game. I think you guys would have had a better chance to beat us if we won week one. Um, I do agree again, with that statement, actually. Right, so... Um, now that we did lose week one, I can see Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, who's already been very vocal about the team's performance in week one, just like putting in the work this week and going down to Miami, division rival, and just kind of uh, letting loose. But Miami's no team to scoff at, especially that defense, so we'll see. Yeah, we got Will Fuller back this week after uh, suspension, and if there's one area I think we can really capitalize is we got some some good guys and and Fuller and uh, – and Waddle and uh, and uh, uh, shoot, what's the third guy? Oh my gosh, can't believe I'm blanking. Um, Parker, um, I think your corners are a little vulnerable at times. Uh, we saw Steelers kind of make some big plays. One on corner. Eh. Tredavious White's top five corner in the league. It's Eli. It's Eli Wallace is the problem. So. So. But uh. Anyway, th- that's the one area I, th- I see us maybe making some uh, making some gains on you guys. Definitely not going to be the run game. So, anyway, we'll head to our next game. We got Houston at Cleveland in the ridiculous spread. Cleveland by twelve and a half. Brian, you're taking Cleveland. I'm taking Houston. I, I certainly think we both agree Cleveland's going to win. They're probably right. going to win big. Right. But 10, uh, would have been, ten would have been better. Oh, certainly. You know, um, even even say eleven. You know, twelve and a half is that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of points. Um, which is which is why I'm taking Houston. It's just for the sheer volume. You know, they put up a lot of points on a bad Jacksonville team. But I'll yeah. tell you what, Houston certainly looked better, even against Jacksonville, than I anticipated them to. Right. I was so. really on the fence for this one. Um, didn't really know which way I wanted to go. And I think what it came down to me was if Cleveland plays like they did against Kansas City week one, they'll win by more than 12. I mean, it could very well be, you know, a 14 point game. Right. And I don't, so. and I don't definitely don't see that out of the right. realm possibility. But if you're going to give me 12 and a half, I'm going to take it, you know. Right. I and I just, I, I knew this was going to be one we probably differed on. So I'm going to roll the dice and see if I can pick one up on you. So. Yep. So, uh, the next game we we differ on is is uh, San Francisco at Philadelphia. I'm gonna bite and take Philly, even though San Francisco's up by three and a half. Am I am I crazy here? Again, it, there's so many questions with Philly. They play to me. 
it all came – our difference last week was our opinion on Atlanta, really, which is I don't think Philly's good either. I just think Atlanta's nowhere near as good as people are giving them credit. Kind of came to fruition with their performance against Philly. I still think Philly's a bad team. And uh, even though San Fran loses most or for the season, I think they win by at least a touchdown. Yeah, so this game opened up, I think, at five and a half um, was, I think, the opening line on this one. And it, it kind of came down. But I think by then I already bought in that Philly was going to be close. I don't think Philly's going to win this game. I just I think it's going to be close. So thought I'd take a risk here. But uh, we'll head to our, our last game. Actually, let's, before we get down to our last game, let's talk about you know, Atlanta. We just talked about them and, and how bad they were. Tampa Bay is 12 and a half points favorites over Atlanta. Yep. Biggest spread in, of the week. In Tampa Bay. Both of us took Tampa Bay. I, I mean, do you see a situation where they don't cover the spread? Yeah, Tom Brady gets hurt in the first quarter. <laughs> I mean, that's I, honestly, I just, that Atlanta defense is bad. Like, yes. really bad. And really bad. Tampa is going to have a field day. Mm hmm. On the offensive side of the ball, Mike Evans, I'm calling it now, at least two touchdown passes to make up for last week. Make up for last week, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so if you hear it now, if you got a Tampa Bay player playing this week, so we'll head down to our last game, Detroit at Green Bay. For some odd reason, Green Bay is favored by 11 in this one. You know, after last week, I, I'm really surprised this is 11. Yeah, I'm not sure why it got bigger throughout the week. Um, right. We said this opened up at 7. Right. And my only guess can be is that people are are speculating that Rodgers is just going to bounce back like there's no tomorrow and put up crazy numbers. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the only reason why I'm picking Green Bay is because I hope that's what he does. Um, mm -hmm. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't, I think we know what the Aaron Rodgers 2021 story is going to be like. If they can't beat Detroit at home on Monday Night Football. Yep. And I, I do think if they win, they win big. This, yeah. this is either going to be a close game that Detroit steals, or it's going to be a blowout. I guess just for the record, I took Detroit, you took Green Bay. Right. I do agree this should be a blowout, but I saw nothing that lends me to believe that the offense is going to put up fantastic numbers. I sure hope so. Just for my fantasy team, I sure hope so. Three points ain't going to cut it. Uh, but Detroit put up a lot of points last week against San Francisco, who's a good defense. That, that's a good defense with Bosa back there, uh, back this season. And, and they put up a, a lot of points. So I think that ultimately Green Bay wins this game. And maybe they win by 10. But more than that, w when I get a spread this big, I'm almost always going to take a spread this big just to cover. Well, that's our picks for week two. And uh, we'll see. You know, I got one game up on you. So there's a. A chance uh, for that lead to grow or for you to bring it back. We have four, you know, those four matchups, as we mentioned. We'll see where we're at after week two. And uh, that brings us to the Who You Got section of the podcast. And in, uh, in this week's segment, we are focusing on two of the NFL stars, OBJ and Zeke. Both had a down year in 2020 and aren't exactly off to the best start this season. Last season was OBJ's second year in Cleveland, but was only able to suit up for seven games. Um, throughout the season, he saw a, decre a decrease uh, across all stat lines. Um, this season, Beckham has yet to get on the field as he was scratching week one, and his status for week two is still up in the air. Zeke, on the other hand, has only missed one game over the last two seasons, but has also had also had his worst statistical season as he rushed for almost 400 fewer yards and has half as many touchdowns compared to 2019. Start of this year looks even worse as Zeke only rushed for 33 yards in week one. Logan, who you got as the player with the most pressure to perform this season, OBJ or Zeke? I'm taking OBJ. I think he's feeling the pressure. This season, he turns 29. His prime is quickly slipping away if it's not gone already. Uh, you know, we no longer talk about him amongst the top wide receivers and even, you know, some of the guys that were in that kind of talk with him before guys like Julio Jones, we're still talking about them as being great wide receivers. We're not talking about OBJ being that kind of guy, especially because he can't even make it on the field. 
you know, I, I think he's kind of fallen down to the second tier uh, discussion just due to his injuries. Uh, you know, and on top of that, you know, seeing him kind of slip and we saw Baker Mayfield kind of begin to come into his own without OBJ last season. You know, the Browns were 11 win team largely without him. Uh, and if they regress this season, when he returns, they're going to point the finger at him. So, um, Zeke, he had another down year, but there's always a market for formerly good running backs. Just look at, you know, this season where we've seen injuries to running back, you know, guys who didn't make a team or were, you know, backups, guys like Carlos High, Latavius Murphy, Devontae Freeman, LeVon Bell. All those guys have kind of gotten their shot again to prove themselves over the last week. So uh, I think just a market for Zeke is going to kind of exist longer than it's going to be there for OBJ. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And it really comes down to, you know, OBJ's injury issues, I believe. That's his biggest concern. You know, teams are not going to take a chance on him if he can't even you know, show that he's going to be able to stay healthy for a season. He's had, I would say, a few years in a row now that he has um, consistently been on the downswing. You know, Zeke has his own concerns, but I think for this year alone, there's more pressure on OBJ, not only from a performance standpoint, but if he can't even get on the field, you know, I don't know what his contract prospects are going to be in the next couple of years. Yeah. And, and, you know, he had Zeke had a, a bad game. But that's a Tampa Bay team that is probably the best run blocking team in the league. They they are just a fantastic defense, and the game script that Dallas had was never to feature him as a running back in that game. I think they should have got him more involved. He's a talented player, and you always want to have your talented players touch the ball. But uh, the, the game script was never to have him run 30 times in that game. So... Agreed. He, was kind of, he was kind of behind the ball. And, you know, they talked about him coming into this season, you know, down 20 pounds, looking fantastic. We'll have to see if that's the case, uh, you know, week two. Certainly, uh, fantasy owners want to see him bounce back. So we're going to head to uh, this day in sports and the Washington football team, a team that we've talked about quite a bit this week. Uh, the franchise has gone through a few name changes over the years. The team originated as the Boston Braves. After just one year, the team was renamed the Boston Redskins. In 1937, they moved from Boston to Washington after there was a lack of interest in the team. And on this day in 1937, the Boston, or the, uh, the Washington Redskins franchise played their first game in Washington at Griffith Stadium where they defeated the New York Giants in the season opener, 13-3. The Redskins went on to win the pre-merger NFL championship that year. We know that that team is going to be rebranding but we'll have to wait till early next year uh, to uh, see the reveal of their new name and logo. So, well, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back next week with an all-new Sideline Sportscast. Don't forget to check out our socials at Sideline Casters on both Facebook and Twitter. See you guys.